0: A double superstar gets his payday and another could soon follow. We'll wait and see what happens as we uh, head closer to July 1st. Meantime, the Ottawa Senators finally have their new owner. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks paid a premium to get a key blue liner and have since parted ways with him for basically nothing. And it's now going to count as dead cap. We'll discuss what they attempted to do to uh, stay cap compliant heading into the offseason uh, meantime the florida panthers misery continues while everyone is celebrating in las vegas nevada episode 369 of the lace Them up podcast starts right now <laughs> it's time to lace them up here's brett and steve and welcome to the show ladies and gentlemen i'm steve ellsworth i'm brett Dubuff. before we get to, to the minor stuff a couple of coaching hires as well brett uh, big news out of the swamp Jesper Bratt getting paid by the devils
1: yeah it's um uh, <clears throat> i guess it's not like a huge shock that he got this big of a contract but um but yeah definitely um but definitely something. I guess it was, it's more shocking that because he signed this before the Stanley Cup Finals happened and and all that, or the before the Vegas Golden Knights won. Short, the shortly Cup.
0: after uh, the yeah. finals ended, yeah.
1: Oh, was it after? Okay, I thought it was yeah before, but um, but yeah. So Jesper uh, Bratt, uh, he signs an eight-year deal worth seven point eight seven five million. Uh, that all totals up to 63 million um, in total, and that is his number. So uh, that that is it's one of those things there. Um, yeah, 63. Um, and uh, but uh, <laughs> besides that point, um, he had 73 points in 82 games this past year. Um, he also had, uh, you know, the uh, year before that, he had 73 points in 76 games. Um, that's when he really started to break out, when he was 23 years old. And now he's 24 years old, or he's about to be 25, I guess, um, for this coming season. And uh, yeah, he, you know, this it is a lot of money. Um, but, you know, I think he does make the team better. Um, he's their best, like, obviously you have Nico Heischer, you have Jack Hughes at center. Um, but in terms of, like, wingers, it's really just Jesper Bratt and, uh, I mean, I guess Dawson Mercer isn't terrible or anything, but, um, he is, Jesper Bratt's definitely their best winger. So, that's, uh, someone that they should, uh, they should pay long-term. Um, it looks here that, I guess, it's, um... Nico Heischer, Jasper Bratt, Jack Hughes, Andre Pilatt, um, Dougie Hamilton, John Marino, and Jonas Siegenthaler are all paid. Uh, are all are the only contracts that are still going on four years from now. I, I said that weirdly, but uh, or in terms of like long term contracts, um, and the rest of the team um, is either a free agent. This season or this off season or in like the next year or uh, or two so uh so that, i guess that is good news that they have a lot of space to work with but um yeah we'll, we'll see it is a good move by the devils for sure
0: yeah well, uh you mentioned brett their cap situation in particular is tremendous especially yeah. as the cap goes up within the next couple of years like um you may think at a couple of good seasons uh, from Jesper Bratt that it still might be a stretch, but I think they're banking on bargain uh, to win the day, and I think they're going to be successful in that foresight. Uh, just taking a look at uh, some of the other names, uh, Timo Meyer, um, apparently yep. Claude Lemieux and Tom Fitzgerald are... Uh, chatting frequently so it looks like a long-term deal could be done there within the coming weeks uh, Timo Meyer is pretty eager to be there the Devils want to keep him as well uh, Jesper Bratt uh, in his press conference uh, go- says he got the deal that he wanted yeah. and um, if they can get locked up uh, if they can lock up Timo Meyer at an affordable rate then you look at the Devils and say, hey, they can
1: yeah, do nice. all of
0: this and add more pieces down the road as well. Yeah. Like you mentioned uh, the long-term future, uh, Jack Hughes has got a fresh uh, new deal um, that's a couple of years old now, uh, $8 million cap hit. He's entering year two of that $8 million contract um, and he's got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven years left on that. Uh, There is a bit of a no-trade list, but it's a 10-team no-trade. That doesn't kick in for a couple more years, so you've got a lot of flexibility. I don't know why you would trade him
1: in the first place, but yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, how many times have we seen a team just soar to new heights and then fall right back down to Earth the next year? Yeah, that's a good point, yeah. And and it's also the Devils. Yeah, but
1: then, like, even if, still, like, if the Devils do fall back to Earth, like, then why would you trade Jack Hughes? (laughs) Yeah well then you
0: also have nico he's at yeah. 7.25 for the next four yeah, years and nice he's coming dude. off a career season he's your leader like yeah. you said you have a playoff performer uh like palat you have sharon govich who's an arbitration eligible rfa but he's not going to be that pricey to keep around i don't think you have cap hits like um i wouldn't call them cap hits but eric Hall and Tostatar, they're not guys i would say you have to resign so that could create more cap space for you to get other guys like Maybe, and and I'm probably going to connect this guy to like half the league, but Ivan Barbashev is a depth forward that I think could be a good fit for a lot of teams, and I would classify the Devils on that list. On the back end, like you said, John Marino, a good shutdown defenseman. Jonas Siegenthaler, very underrated. Dougie Hamilton, we've seen what he can do in the past. We've seen what he did this year. He's a stud, and he's got five years left in $9 million. And then you get a full season of Luke Hughes, oh, man. Yeah. Like talk talk about a bright future and then it's just the goaltending you gotta solve. Like they can do all of this, re-sign Timo Meyer after re-signing Jesper Bratt and maybe tweaking the roster a little bit and still get like a big name goalie in the trade market. And yeah. they have the prospect pool to continue to develop, go up the food chain and continue to establish themselves in the Metro division. So short term and the long term, this is a good deal for both parties. Mm. And I don't see any sort of regression happening for Brat When you consider that he was given a one year prove it deal uh, and he put up the same amount of points in six fewer games. Uh, His points per game was 0.89 this year. It was 0.96 the year before. Uh, his shooting percentage this season was slightly better than last year. Last year, was 13.2. This year, it's 15.1. His power play production uh, in terms of points is a little bit better. In terms of power play goals, he scored eight compared to three the year prior. And uh, he's getting roughly the same amount of power play time uh, as he did last yeah. year. And his ice time is uh, roughly the same as last year, too. So the way I see it... Um, your top six is looking damn good. And the Devils fans have a lot to be excited about.
1: Yeah, I had forgotten that they had Timo Meyer. So when I said that he, the Devils, uh, that Jesper Bratt's their best, uh, the Devils' best winger, like, I mean, I guess that is still kind of true because Timo Meyer he had 14 points in 21 games for the Devils. Um, and I know that he has potential for more there because uh, he was incredible on the San Jose Sharks. But yeah, um, but yeah, no, I, I guess you're right. Though if Timo Meyer gets signed there, that's like it makes them even more dangerous as a team. Um, I will say though that looking at their their cap space though, or their just their cap friendly t- uh, page here, um, it does seem like <laughs> like Andre Palat being paid a lot of money, six million uh, for four more years. That's a lot of money um, for thirty two years old. Um, and yeah, I mean, John Marino and Jonas Siegenthaler, yes, they are good shutdown guys, but I don't know, it, it seems a little bit strange to pay that much long-term to shut down defensemen, even if they are really good shutdown defensemen, you know, so... Um, yeah i will say a
0: long term like as we get to the final two years of that uh, palat deal is where it could hurt them because luke hughes will have come off his entry-level contract you also have one more year of dawson mercer on his entry level but before you got to pay him and at the rate he's progressing that could be another like easy five or six million right there Mm -hmm. um and then of course you got to figure out you know long term what the plan and goal is um so that palat contract doesn't seem like that big of a burden now. It could be a burden in a couple of years when they have to make those uh salary increases to some of their key True. youth movement players. Fair, fair,
1: fair. But like I guess like even now it's it's not great cuz Andre Palat like missed uh, like half of the year, I believe
0: uh so. yeah well i mean that's injuries um it's definitely a concern if they keep up 23 especially 23 considering games, he so. has a no move clause uh currently right, and right. Uh, Jesper for after this coming season is gonna have four years of a no move clause so yeah the the con for these bargains is of course you're giving player all the control if things yeah. don't work out they can control where they go yeah i mean it, you it's... got you got andre Pilat in the playoffs that's the whole reason why he's here
1: true true i guess but like I don't know, like, you know, it's still strange because he also has injury history in the regular season. And, yeah, he is good in the playoffs, that's true, but, or I can't deny that, but I don't know. I feel like it's still a lot for, for um, for the like, a depth winger. But, anyways, um, we should move on because uh, Oliver Ekman-Larsen, um, he was just <laughs> bought out. Um, by the Vancouver Canucks, uh, he was making, I believe, like six million. Um, it was one of the worst contracts in the league um, until until he got bought out. So yeah, he's a free agent now, um, and he's going um, somewhere else. It is um, like I I'm inserting the like the Brian Win Winhorse meme of like why would they do that? Uh, I mean, obviously we know why he was doing that. Why the Vancouver doesn't because um you know they have Quinn Hughes in the mix they have um they have a lot of good defensemen there um there's also mainly...
0: another logical reason as to why he has a no move clause till the end of his deal uh, okay yeah that's so also um I... they can't even put him on waivers uh,
1: yeah yeah <laughs> so
0: they're, they're kind of in a bind here it's like yeah, they had yeah. no choice four years left though what are you gonna yeah, do yeah yeah.
1: I mean I I'm, I'm saying that in just just mostly just because now they have six million in cap space uh, to deal with as well Um, so they can they can use that money elsewhere maybe Um, oh wow, geez, Tyler Myers um, is making six million I thought at least it's
0: for one more year though Like it's not like OEL where he still is
1: no, 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 I know, but it's still pretty bad, (laughs) but yeah Yeah,
0: it is bad, (laughs) Uh, proof that uh, Jim Benning trade by the way was worse than we thought Exactly. I I was giving it a cautious sense of optimism. Uh, it's bad.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, OEL was pretty decent in Arizona, of course, but
0: yeah, at the um, time, yeah, yeah. before so, we went to Vancouver.
1: So it's not like you like you know it made sense from that angle, but uh, but yeah, it just didn't work out um, in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I guess the joke was is that um, or Steve has been predicting that OEL was going to go to Boston. Um and uh, I think you were going to get a Patrice Bergeron jersey or something. I don't know if you. I'm still
0: going did that. to do that. I haven't acted on it, but I'm still <laughs> going to do
1: that. It's been like two years, and that
0: bet is still alive, even though OEL got bought out because the yeah. terms of the deal was yeah. I guess you would get, he would get he eventually.
1: Cool. Yeah, it's a weird loophole. Also, something that I don't even really care. if You, you <laughs> get the get, no, get I'm it. I'm a man of it.
0: my word. I'm getting the jersey. All I'm right, getting the jersey. All right, all right. I will. I will provide uh, picture proof.
1: Okay, great. It oh, I, I <laughs> it's just been two years. Um,
0: <laughs> it has, yeah. It's
1: yeah, I mean, I, I think Oel could could bounce back somewhere else. It depends on what team uh, sign or what where he signs for. But I imagine it'll be something like a John Klingberg situation where he'll sign a one year deal somewhere as a prove it deal, and then if he proves it, then he'll he'll get more. Um, and if he doesn't, then it'll be, like, what John Klingberg is right now, just, like, um, where I'm unclear if, uh, teams want him or not, but...
0: He's gonna go to a contender on a one-year, one-million-dollar, just watch.
1: Yeah, probably, and then, um, uh, and then it'll be, like, really, really good on that. And then
0: a will win a cup that, yeah, yeah. that exact year.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: So, like, Tampa, New Jersey, pick a team.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, <laughs> anyway, right, right. Um... Yeah, so so that, that is an interesting aspect of it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Do you have anything else on this topic?
0: Um, well, I'm very concerned. Um, while obviously this was the only path forward for the Canucks, I'm concerned how this buyout is going to impact uh, their longevity with the group of guys that they have. Because uh, this coming season, the buyout cap hit in dead cap. It's only 146 grand, which is nothing. Mm-hmm. However, then it goes up to $2.346 million in 2024-25. Um, that is key because after this season, you're going to have to pay Elitis Peterson again. And um, if he has another 100-point season, that's probably going to be even more than what he's getting paid now, which is, uh, let me see here. million and he's arbitration eligible after this coming season uh and then after that two straight years the dead cap hit for oel is 4.766 uh for two straight years then it goes down in 27 28 to 2.126 and it remains that way um heading into the 28 29 season the reason i mentioned that is because after the uh second year of that 4.766 million in dead cap quinn hughes is uh or sorry thatcher demko is gonna be um or no no i i no let 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 me clarify so after the first year of that 4.766 million in dead cap uh you're gonna have to pay thatcher demko because he's a ufa after that and then uh the second year of that $4.766 million cap hit after that year, uh, Quinn Hughes can hit the open market as well. So you've got a bunch of key pieces uh, to try and keep, and you're, and after the trade deadline, you're already struggling to be cap compliant for this upcoming season, and now all of a sudden, uh, in a couple of years down the line, when you have to pay the likes of Peterson and Quinn Hughes yet again uh, at contracts that are probably going to be pushing $10 million a season, you're going to have that debt cap for a defenseman that you don't even ice. Mm. Like, this buyout's going to drag on for the next six years, and for a good chunk of that, it's going to be at a pivotal point where the Canucks are going to be trying to feel the competitive roster. And the other con to this is, if the Canucks have a bad season, and I guess the argument would be whether or not OEL was still on the team, this would be the case, if they have another bad season... Uh, remember Elias Peterson said that when he signed his latest three-year deal that he wants to be on a team that has a chance to win. This is back-to-back um, disappointment-filled seasons for Vancouver. If they have another one, Elias Peterson could just say, "That's it. Yeah, um, I've I've had enough. Get me out of here." And that could be really, really bad uh, for the long-term future of this franchise. A key player like Peterson wanting out. So there's a lot yeah. of pressure on this Canucks team to turn it around. And even with a couple of trades, um, I don't really know if it's good enough to move the needle just to make a playoff spot.
1: Yeah, I, I, I mean, I feel like it's one of those things that we'll have to wait and see. Because, like, it, it, could. I don't know, I could see, the, like, the Canucks... Um, Making the playoffs at the very least. Um, I've had, <laughs> What's weird is like they have the exact same season as they did last year. Like they, they kind of, um, they didn't. Uh, you know they they started off horrible, um, and then and then uh, they played well enough in the second half of the year um, to not necessarily be a lottery team, but also not make the playoffs either. And so then it's like, okay, can they do this for a full season? Um, now that they, that they – it seems like they like Rick Tockett, so maybe it's not like Rick Tockett's a terrible coach. Yeah, I would have rather had Bruce Boudreau in the system. But I thought
0: they liked Boudreau last year and they ended the season strong. And that clearly didn't matter.
1: True, true, but, like, it, that's not, like, you know, like, it could – you know, that it might happen again, but it could also be mm. where – Rick Tockett is a, you know, a good coach for them and they, um, they're good for the entire season. So, uh, yeah, there, there is something to that, but, um, I, I feel like right now, I guess it makes some sense just so that they save some cap room and do something. But, um, but yeah, on the other hand, you're right that like they might just end up being in mediocrity again for the third straight year. I mean,
0: you look at the Winnipeg Jets and how bad they've struggled, and um, I I I just really don't know if there are enough teams that can struggle for uh, Vancouver to you know make that push to be a playoff team again. Heck, I would even put St. Louis as a team that's more likely to bounce back than Vancouver, um, just because I think they have um, you know obviously a few major changes need to be made, starting with their goaltending and and maybe the coach um if if things go south but i i think the pieces are there for them to turn it around and they definitely have the gm to help turn things around yeah i just feel like a lot of the times this year the canucks were their own worst enemy for like sure. a lot of this was on vancouver just uh the front office not reading the room or <laughs> it just just kind of losing the plot in their messaging a little bit and just pushing all the wrong buttons, really. And I think front office uh, competence or lack thereof is has, has played a, a big role in kind of the demise of the Canucks that we're seeing unfold right now yeah. and also the ownership, too. Uh, Aquilini has played a big part in the Canucks misfortune of late, too. Sure, sure.
1: Um okay uh we now go to uh coaching hires um and we'll also mm-hmm. get into uh, Steve's Senators here in a, in a little bit too but uh we're go- we're going to talk about the Rangers they hire uh Peter Laviolette um as their head coach um this had been on the rumor mill for the last couple of weeks um we we didn't we waited until it was like official from um, from a lot of sources, and um, so it seemed like um, it is official now. Um, yeah, this is, it's kind of funny, too, because, I, I mean, I guess when he was the Islanders coach and the Carolina coach, um, the the they weren't in the Metro, or the Metro division wasn't even a thing, but this, this Rangers hire, oh, I guess when he was on the Philadelphia coach as well, he wasn't even the... Um, that wasn't, the Metro wasn't a thing either, but, um, but yeah, this would be his fifth Metro team that he's coached, because uh, yeah. he's, he, the Islanders, the Carolina Hurricanes, the Philadelphia Flyers, he did have a stint in Nashville for about seven seasons, and then he uh, just coached Washington, um, and then, yeah, so now you have, well, uh the New York Rangers, I feel like, the Devils, the Penguins, and um, Columbus and Columbus are probably sick of him, but um, <laughs> but it but it is funny, um, and it I mean maybe it is a coincidence. He did win a Stanley Cup when he was in Carolina, um, and uh, in there was his, also that
0: miraculous Flyers run in 2010 yeah, that didn't end their way. But man, that was something to watch.
1: Yeah, he also made it to the Stanley Cup Finals in Asheville as well. Um, so he's had some playoff success, but like he's only won one Stanley Cup, of course. And, and similar tough.
0: to DeBoer, it was almost instantaneous too. It yeah. Was within the first couple of years of him joining as yeah, well, was, where he make a big impact like that.
1: It was his uh, second year in Carolina, um, mm-hmm. and um, but yeah, his fourth
0: season coaching overall. Um, I think the Flyers run was like, yeah. I think he was. Uh, yeah, I think he came into the picture like midway through the season or is the season before that? Uh, so, like, yeah, he was mid- relatively yeah. new in Philly as well. Oh,
1: oh in Philly, yeah. Uh, he, Yeah, he, it says here that he uh, just joined 57 games in, or he only had 57 games in yeah. when they played uh, that year. that they made Yeah, John single.
0: Stevens was the coach who got canned, yeah,
1: and yeah. then Laviola took over. It's funny, I that was the team that reverse swept the Bruins, and yeah. I... I I purposely have uh, <laughs> like forgotten about that season. Yeah, well, um, you won, you won think, the cup after that, probably yeah. helped. no, of course it does, but it is like I just blank it out of my mind. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it says here that he uh, joined with like I guess like thirty-ish games into the season. Um, anyways, uh, he has a seventy-seven fifty-two seven hundred and fifty-two wins. 503 losses and 150 otLs or I guess 175 because this was back when like he's uh, he's been coaching since before the, the first lockout uh, where there was 25 ties uh, so if you include that with the oTLs that he has that would be 175 ties or oTLs. Um. Uh, anyways uh, So yeah needless to say He is a good coach or he's just Been there for a long time um, The only thing That I have about this is I mean I guess it's like I'm trying to think Of like what other coach could the Rangers Have hired I guess Bruce Boudreau Would be the obvious one um, I think they should Have um, Gerard <laughs> Gallant Which uh, would be kind of Funny. it's like, oh wait, never mind. We found out that there is not another good coach, so we're just gonna rehire Gerard Gallant again. But um, but yeah. So in terms of like, you know, I, I think this makes sense for the Rangers, just because like the not makes sense, but this is just what the Rangers do. Is they just get like the they they don't really do hires for like um for like new hires that often. It's just like. Guys who have done it before, um, it might work for for the Rangers. So they don't really do retread or they do retreads, I should say. Uh, the only issue that I have here is is that it seems like Laviolette hasn't been a good coach in a long, long, long time. Like the the like Washington, he wasn't really that good as a Washington coach. Um, and then I mean, yeah, the. Like Nashville, I guess he was okay um, the last couple of years, but um, but yeah, it seems a little strange. He's also like um, he's oh, he's fifty eight years old. Okay, I thought he was like a lot older, but I guess he's the, the-
0: same age as Cassidy.
1: That's crazy because he's been coaching for twenty years. You would think that he would be like seventy or at this point, but no.
0: But you start he started uh, fairly yeah. young too. Like yeah, in I the early two thousands, he was the Islanders' coach.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess the other thing is is that the range like Gerard Gallant kind of got out uh, was out of, uh, because like he didn't get the going. He didn't get Kako going. Um, and he didn't do all that stuff. And LaVulette hasn't been that kind of coach either. Like he hasn't really developed young players. I mean, I know that the Washington Capitals they're also in a weird situation with. Like they don't really develop young guys either. But um, but I don't like I don't think like Kako and Lafreniere are going to seed as well. Under Labiolette, because I like because Labiolette hasn't really coached or developed young players um, at all. Uh, so, um, so that, that that part is like, okay, if like, I don't think Lafreniere is going to be any better under Labiolette now, um, other than having similar names now, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like this is uh, not a great hire, but I guess it's not shocking either because this is kind of like a move that the Rangers would make.
0: I definitely think, uh, based on what I've been hearing um, about what Gallant did and what Laviolette is known for, um, I do think he's a better option than Gallant.
1: Yeah. Um, looking looking fair. at
0: this uh, article from uh, um, it points out uh, – That several rangers players requested during their exit interviews a sense of direction and motivation they felt gallant wasn't giving it to them enough uh whereas laviolette's not afraid to just uh, go off on his players uh we've seen um i think uh was in the leap to a winter classic and the preds were featured in it and uh you know you you saw firsthand of laviolette holding his players accountable at that point it seemed like the players had kind of checked him out a little bit um i don't think they were really engaged at that point and that's i think part of what led to his dismissal as uh, nashville's coach at the time um but you can kind of see like early on in his career um that his teams will feed off of that and Goland is a guy that kind of takes a hands-off approach and lets the vets do the talking this article from fanside goes on to say which um, I definitely think uh, for the Rangers, um, as good as their veterans are, um, I definitely think you need a coach that kind of leads them along, especially when you have a blend of good veterans that are also very talented, but also also youthful players. Like, like you have Keandre Miller and Philip Keitel who have taken big steps, but you're waiting for Lafreniere to take that next step and Capocacco to take that next step. Um, one of the things that uh, we've been talking about alexis lafreniere is just like hey where's the priority on the power play where's the pp1 mm-hmm. where's where's the power play ice time on that first unit it hasn't uh, gone his way where's that power play goal production that we've been wanting to see and um don't look at Laviolette's stats when he was with nashville because their power plays were dreadful some years yep. Uh, So I am kind of nervous how, um, you know, a pretty intimidating Rangers offense can thrive under Laviolette's system on the power play. But if this team is better 5-on-5 in all situations and he can get more versatility from the vets and the young guys from an offensive point of view, I'm sure they can handle, you know, a couple of percentage point dip in special teams. If their penalty kill is... Um, you know, not relying on Shashurkin to do everything. Um, I, I think, at least for the short term, it could be a good move. Long term, we'll wait and see. Um, but I, I think my biggest concern was I wasn't sure about the power play. Uh, the fact that he was a retread is also kind of a, eh, I'm not sure about this kind of higher. And then also, like, how you balance the veterans with uh, the youth movement that the Rangers have going on. Those are my three concerns about the Labiolette hire. But I'm at least willing to keep an open mind and, and give it a shot because it was clear with Gland that a lot of things weren't working yeah. and changes needed to be made.
1: Yeah, yeah, I guess that's the thing is, is like, because Gland was fired because he wasn't willing to change. Um, so I am wondering if like the same can be said for Labiolette. Like, if things aren't going to be working, because inevitably that's just life, and that's just how, how team sports work, is that sometimes things don't work, so it's like, is he willing to change things up and, and switch things around to make and, it And the other like,
0: thing about Laviolette is also, uh, what cost his job was that he didn't adjust in-game, Right, Laviolette is pretty good at that as yeah, well.
1: Yeah, so, okay, from that sense, then, yeah, I guess it, it is a good hire, but... I don't know. It feels like it's just another retread or like a like a, a lateral move in this sense. But we'll see.
0: There was also this uh, point in the fan side article just real quick before we move on. Sure. Um, and it uh, was talking about uh, Laviolette, this being his fifth Metro team that he's coached. And keep in mind also that Laviolette coached in Philadelphia where the pressure is always on. The fans are giving it to right. you when you're losing. Uh, the media, you know, is is pretty intense there. And he's also been in, you know, media markets like Carolina and the New York Islanders where the focus isn't on you Mm
1: -hmm.
0: 24-7. But uh, one of the, um, according to Larry Brooks, uh, one of the uh, questions asked by Chris Drury to some of the coaching candidates was, how do you plan to handle the ruthless New York media? and that's something uh, you know, that keeps getting popped up uh, again and again and again this is kind of like America's Toronto in the sense like the media is all over you in New York and at that point that's when uh, current Seattle Kraken assistant Jay Leach kind of bowed out of the race essentially according to Larry Brooks of the New York Post oh, wow. and I think if Labiolette is able to handle Philly he can handle the New York spotlight yeah yeah I mean, Which, as, as you know, is one of the final moments of Gerard Gallant is his kind of refuted at the media. It's just like, eh, my job is safe. Why would you ask that question? Right, right, right. right.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, that is true. I mean, you would like to think that, like, I mean, we're about to talk about a new coach um, or getting his first chance, you um, know, in, in a couple of seconds, but... Um, so I, I do like when their like teams do hire new coaches, but yeah, that is a good point. Like, just the New York pressure um, is very different than like if you're a coach on um, another team, because just from that market where they expect so much out of you. So, um, so yeah, that that might serve him well. Of course, that he has a lot of experience as well. So yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see. It's you know, Laviolette is obviously a good coach. I just. I would have liked them to see and try a like a, a different approach to how they hire coaches although I guess as I say that like they did hire David Quinn and that did not go well so <laughs> so maybe maybe they shouldn't take my advice um, <laughs> um anyways uh, Calgary Flames they hire Ryan Huska um, and if you don't know who he is I don't blame you um, he only played one game as a player for the Chicago Blackhawks in 97-98, so uh, he was...
0: 47 years old, by the way, yeah, so that's yeah. 9 years younger than, or no, 11 years younger than LaViolette and Cassidy, who have been at this game for a while.
1: Yep, um, yeah, it's uh, kind of crazy, I guess, um, but yeah, he w- I was even looking at this here, he was... Um, He was the head coach for the Kelowna Rockets for um, a few years. Uh, One that he won the championship. And I was just doing the math here. He won that. uh, So he won a championship in 2008, 2009. And he was 37 that year. Um, Yeah,
0: back in the day, uh, they're not nearly as good now. But back in the day, the Kelowna Rockets were um, a Canadian Hockey League powerhouse. Yeah, yeah. And, and he was also on the Kamloops Blazers teams that uh, won, like, uh, three Memorial Cups in four years, I think oh, wow. it was. Like, it, in terms of the ultimate CHL dynasties, the Kamloops Blazers were probably at the top of the list. And he was yeah. a big part of those teams.
1: Yeah, he. Uh, it says here that he made the playoffs in each, um, each uh, head coaching season that he had for... Um, the Kelowna Rockets he was also an assistant coach for Kelowna for a while as well so um then he moves on to uh the the Calgary uh Flames affiliate AHL affiliate uh the Stockton Heat um although at the time when he was first hired it was the Adirondack Flames um and then, um, and then he became the assistant coach for the Calgary Flames for the last five years. Um, yeah, so, so a
0: guy that Calgary already yeah, knows. Like, exactly. the players know him, too.
1: Yeah, and that's a big reason why they do that. I mean, this is kind of pretty similar to, uh, like, a Bruce Cassidy trajectory, like, where Cassidy was the um, Providence Bruins head coach for a little bit, and then he uh, was the assistant coach for a little bit, and then he gets hired full time. Um, so, so there's that. But um, but yeah, I, th- I think this is a good move for the the Flames as they welcome in guys like Dustin Wolf, uh, Matthew Coronado, uh, Jacob Peltier, um, and um, I'm sure there's other prospects that I'm not, uh, Connor Zeri, Um other prospects that I'm not thinking of. So it seems like it could help with their youth movement here going on. Um, and not to mention as we just said that like he was the assistant coach for the Calgary Flames as well, so so like a lot of the current players are still like used to him and there's some familiarity to him, um, so we can see how how that goes. So um, yeah, I mean, as I just mentioned, with like new coaches, you never really know um, if they're gonna be good or if they're gonna be bad, but. Um, I do like when teams do this and it seems like, uh, Ryan Huska is familiar with the team. Um, from, so, so it could be something that could work towards them. Um, I did hear though that like, uh, Elias Lindholm, Tyler Toffoli and Noah Hannafin who are going to be free agents next year. Um, they're unsure if they're going to resign. Like there were reports that they they might not resign. Um. Which could be a good or a bad thing, because, like, then it's... Because um, on one hand, it's like, okay, they can, you know, they can move on, and you can start to, like, build your youth movement even more. Um, but on the other hand, it's like, oh, like, I guess this, this core isn't working, so maybe they're just going to start, um, you know, maybe this new guy is working for them and, and does uh, get them to stay... Um, if they if they um, continue to do that, so um, so I'll be curious to see the futures of Elias Lindholm, Tofoli, and Hannifin in particular. Um, but but yeah, no, I, I'm definitely excited just to see what this new coach can do.
0: In fairness, um, that was around the time when Daryl Sutter was still yep. the coach. Their season had just ended; that's like true. it was like yep. a week fresh. No, uh, a so good. maybe perceptions have changed a little bit with Huska at the helm. A guy yeah. that was uh, supposedly playing the good cop on a team that he now knows okay uh what Daryl Sutter did I'm not gonna do that right, right, or right. maybe not go to the lengths that Daryl Sutter did to get his point across true, true. and kind of lead in my own way so there's that one thing yeah um Fair. so so there's that um also the thing about Bruce Cassidy is he coached the Washington Capitals actually had a decent amount of success then had a bad second season and got fired mm. and then uh, went to the the kingston Frontenacs of the ohl had a good season awful start to his second season then got fired so he had experience as a head coach at a couple of different levels including the nhl before he took the bruins job ryan huska has five seasons as an assistant coach zero as a head coach so there's the one difference there between you know cassidy's arc to the nhl and ryan huska also a little anecdote uh you'll never guess who Ryan Huska played that first NHL game against. It was the Calgary flames. Oh, wow. So, uh, yeah, Chicago versus Calgary, Ryan Huska as a player. And that was his only taste of NHL, uh, success at that point. Um, I think again, for Calgary, it's all about the messaging in the room, how it's delivered and getting guys in an all for one mentality, as opposed to, (laughs) you, you, you kind of like low key divisiveness. Um, and and i think he's going to be able to deliver that um it, it's just a matter of in terms of his in-game adjustments um how he can keep players motivated throughout the game especially when things are not going well um all of those things that i think over, that develops over time as an nhl head coach um he's going to be learning on the fly like the rest of them and, um, you know, a lot of these players have been playing in the league for a good number of years. Uh, Tyler Toffoli, uh, when uh, Daryl Sutter was his coach in Los Angeles all those years back. Uh, you look at Elias Lindholm, who um, it may seem like yesterday when he was a top-five pick, but he's, you know, entering his 30s. And he's been playing like a good decade in the NHL right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so these, these guys kind of know the ups and downs of the league but as a coach ryan huska is coming in very very raw to this situation and uh like you said brett a lot is hinging on the success of the flames and if it's not good enough well you know like you said a lot of key players in this team could be headed out the door um and you know you're obviously in a division where you know vegas just won the cup as we'll talk about in a bit and yep. the edmonton oilers are still the edmonton oilers with Nick David and Drysail and all those guys you also have the upstart kings who i maintain are going to be up to stuff this off season and are probably going to be um a potential division winner i really do believe that this year could be the year if they get the pieces that they need uh this could be the year where they win uh the pacific division and um Obviously, you know, the rest of the division is kind of meh, but you still have uh, quite the competition to kind of leapfrog there. And for a rookie coach, that's a a pretty tall task, a tall order. So um, definitely got a lot of pressure on him. I'm interested to see how he handles it.
1: Well, there could be worse divisions he could be in, but yeah, no, of course, like that. Yeah, <laughs> the you're right. It's it. not the
0: central. Yeah, the, yeah. the central, I would argue, is probably more stacked than true. The yeah, the
1: central. I was well, the metro. I mean, the Atlantic and the metro are also pretty <laughs> uh, bad as well. But yeah, um, but like I, I guess it's more just like because the Pacific, you also have like the the Sharks, the Anaheim Ducks. Um, and those are probably going to be bad again. Vancouver, yeah.
0: But you also have Seattle, and you know Seattle. Seattle this that, yeah. that year they had could not be a fluke. They could be just as good, maybe yeah. better no, than they true. were this year.
1: That's true. Um. So yeah, we'll see. Um. And then in Ottawa, sends news. Um. It wasn't uh, Ryan Reynolds who bought the Senators. It wasn't Steve Jobs who bought the Senators. It wasn't the weekend who bought the Senators. It's this guy named Michael Andelauer, um, and I just did a little brief research, I'm sure Steve has more information about him, but um, he uh, launched a healthcare logistics firm, um, and that's how he got his money. He also uh, did some, like, transportation services, so that's how he got his fame. I was also reading that he, he grew up as a lifelong Montreal Canadiens fan. Um, so it's interesting that now he's he owns a division rival uh, to them.
0: Also, has a minority stake in the Habs, which he will now have to sell, which will probably yeah, give him another couple hundred million.
1: I was about to bring that up. Yep, and he also uh, I guess he uh, he bought the um, the Bulldogs of um, mm-hmm.
0: the, uh, the
1: the, the, Hamilton, Hamil- Bulldogs. the Hamilton Bulldogs, the
0: originals Hamilton Bulldogs. Yeah,
1: he's the owner um, of that too. And then. Um, so I assume we will have to also relinquish that ownership as well. Um, but oh, he's he sold the HL Bulldogs um, in 2015. Okay, never mind. Um, so um, so yeah, this I mean it, you know it's it's obviously not Ryan Reynolds, but um, it could be kind of exciting that like this guy definitely loves hockey and um, it seems like uh, he he seems like a good guy. So we'll see. What what are your thoughts? as a sense fan
0: uh to quote Lizzo, it's about damn time Uh, (laughs) um we've waited like a good month for this news and then it finally happens Mm -hmm. um so just the waiting game was frustrating but when you consider the amount of balls in the air um you can kind of see why because they are key questions uh to um the key problems to solve Uh, for example there was a question of whether or not um uh michael and is willing to pay some of the capital gains tax for example uh there's also a good amount of debt that's been accumulated by uh, the team over the years of the melnick regime and um i'm not sure what the exact price tag on that but i've been hearing it's a couple hundred million dollars in debt um, and you also had a number of serious bidders. The Remington Group, while they were the first to bow out, that was the one Ryan Reynolds supported. Um, they had um, the local investment, the local star power, the celebrity face uh, to kind of drive that. You also had the, the Kimmel Brothers, who uh, The weekend was a part of. You had Nico Sparks, who was uh, basically adding celebrities left, right, and center for a time. Uh, the biggest one being Snoop Dogg, and then you also had uh, Steve Apostopoulos, who um, tried to buy the NFL's Washington Commanders, and I think his fail bid was like $6 billion, so he had deep pockets as well. I think uh, Nick Kiprios, uh, former NHLer, now a hockey analyst, uh, is an advisor for that group, and the ball started to get rolling in terms of a deal when apostopolopoulos bowed out because he was frustrated with how the process was going and the frustration was kind of building and building and building it was starting to get documented in the media um you know to to what degree uh it was getting to be frustrating for a lot of the parties and um according to post media's bruce Garyock it might have been getting to a point where michael and is just like Okay, um, I'm eager to buy this team, um, but I, I see the frustration that's starting to mount. And if a deal isn't reached soon, I'm taking my ball and I'm walking home as well. And it was around that point where both sides knew that they wanted a deal to get done. And they came to a deal, $950 million. It was projected to be at a billion. It was just under that. The other thing about Michael Ann Lauer that I mentioned, he has a minority stake in the Montreal Canadiens, which means he already knows the NHL's Board of Governors and he knows the Commissioner Gary Bettman. And I'm sure while the NHL wanted a superstar presence in Brian Reynolds to be a part of, you know, the Ottawa Senators' future, they also like to deal with guys that they know. And knowing Michael Ann Lauer more than the Kimmel brothers, the Apostolopoulos bid, uh, the Remington Group um knowing guys within the league that matters that matters because the board of governors is going to have to approve this sale and they know michael and and they know what he's about so i yeah. think that's a plus one for the sense is you're getting a guy that's already in the know who kind of knows how this league works and uh what's going to be needed to make this uh, a successful turnaround um, and uh, the the other thing, of course, is the future of the downtown arena, where it's going to be located, or maybe you keep the sense in Kanata. In my opinion, as a Kanata resident, um, getting to and from the rink, if you're not in Kanata, is a challenge. Uh, and parking is also a nightmare, too. Uh, public transit isn't the easiest either. So you need a more centralized location, I think, to get the best possible value out of this team and to sell out the building like we i've mentioned this during previous playoff runs especially in 2017 when ottawa went to the final four there were complaints about why isn't the why isn't the canadian tire center being sold out like your team is in the conference finals what's going on and it's a, a couple of factors at play there was the phoenix pay system which was taking a toll on government workers and You know, the the economy, the local economy, had its ups and downs as well. Um, But there was also the convenience of getting to the game, and obviously the ticket prices, too, at around that time of the playoffs, they're also pretty high. Um, So there are a lot of reasons, you know, why fans would rather just, you know, go to a local bar and watch the game, go to Sens Mile and watch the game, as opposed to going to see the real deal. And I think affordability is going to be key moving forward. Having a centralized location is going to be key moving forward. I think Le Breton Flats is the ideal destination, but you need a place with reliable public transit, a good entertainment district to build around. Um, if it's not Le Breton Flats, it could be somewhere else. Maybe a bunch of uh, vacant government buildings can be turned into uh, what the team in the city is looking for. Uh, we'll have to wait and see on that. What I will say about Michael Ann Lauer is after everything that happened with the Eugene Melnick regime and how he kind of brushed aside the fans a little bit, um, from what I hear, Michael Ann Lauer is not a guy that's going to rock the boat with the fan base. He is a genuine guy uh, that wants to win, and he actually likes to play hockey. Like, uh, I don't know if you know this, Brett, he's a beer league goalie. I don't know if he still is a beer league goalie. But uh, in the past, he played it. And uh, going back to the Hamilton Bulldogs connection, Robert Thomas played for them, won a championship in the OHL with them, and now plays for the St. Louis Blues, as we all know. He was asked about Ann Lauer being the Sens' owner, and he says, in hockey circles, one of the nicest humans I've come across. So you get, you know, people from ushers to front office guys to players, just to everyday fans, singing the praises of this guy the more and more i think about michael and lauer uh the more i think okay i think ottawa picked the right person here yeah and um i think no better guy to give the nine percent stake to the other thing is he's also got local supporters uh jeff york um behind a farm boy it's a canadian grocery chain um so he's a part of that there's also the Maholtra family i don't think any relation to Manny Maholtra, but. Uh, The Maholtra family uh, owns uh, Claridge Homes, which is uh, a big developer here in Canada's capital. Um, So you've got uh, some local community guys. You also have uh, at least a dozen, maybe 20 other minor partners involved in this bid too. Um, So he has a bit of uh, capital there. Um, And uh, he's also expected to meet with Daniel Alfredson in the coming days, and it would not shock me in the slightest, and they should do this, uh, to give him a front office role in the team. I think that yeah, would really cool. energize uh, the fan fanmates. Questions yet to be answered. Obviously, the Alex Brinket stuff, whether or not they keep him, uh, whether or not uh, the ownership search being settled uh, leads to an extension for Dabrinkit, or if it's more likely uh, at this point he's going to be traded, it's more likely that's the scenario. Uh, does that scenario change now that Ann Lauer is the owner? Um does DJ Smith remain the Sens head coach, and does Pierre Dorian uh, stay the Sens GM? I think leading up to the draft, you'd be stupid to make a change uh, because you can't bring in a GM cold turkey, uh, even it, though you don't pick until round four, and just you know expect to, that he knows what he's doing. He obviously doesn't have the playbook that Ottawa has gathered over the course of countless months, um, so I think at the very least you keep Dorian through the draft maybe the early stages of free agency in fact it wouldn't surprise me if uh, the Sens just ran it back with the same ownership of you know for the um, for at least this year and then they see where they're at after the season but I do think uh, I don't know how soon but as time goes on the front office is going to get bigger because we're looking at a bare-bones operation run by, you know, just a handful of people. The scouting staff needs to be bigger. The front office needs to be bigger. Uh, there have been rumors that, you know, Steve Steos, who's currently with the Oilers organization, previously with the Hamilton Bulldogs OHL organization, where Anne Lauer and Steos had a lot of success there, there's a, the assumption from Steve Dangle that he could join the Sense at some point. At what role, I don't know so that's something to monitor there Um, but I'm sure Ann Lauer's got it all figured out in his head he just hasn't told us yet
1: yeah I um, I mean I'm happy for you uh, for you and Suns fans everywhere Um, I'm just relieved
0: that it's over and when we get an owner that cares about the team and actually plays the sport like how many owners actually play the sport of you know the team that they're representing I feel like that's that's kind of rare. And obviously it's not official yet. It has to get approved by the board of governors. We're looking right, at right. training camp by the time that happens, but at least we have a name of yes. the guy that's going to be paying the bills long term, and, yeah. and that makes me happy. It's a sense of,
1: of course. Um, yeah, as for the management stuff. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think, I think Pierre Dorian has at least one more year, um, to, to write the ship. Um, I feel like, It like I I had thought that DJ Smith would be fired but I guess like if you're gonna fire him now it doesn't make a ton of sense just because there's not a ton of coaches that are out there now um that would work so um so yeah maybe they just keep DJ Smith for now and and see what what happens but um yeah we'll see all right uh but yes, in general, I am happy that you guys have a general manager and isn't going to want to move the team like Melnick did. So that, yeah. that, well, at the, the, whole, the bare the bones. The condition of the,
0: the sale is that it was going to stay yeah. in Ottawa. And at, the only at, moving yeah. the team would do is go maybe yeah. to a downtown arena, but they're not moving out of the yeah. city.
1: At, at the bare minimum, that's um that's <laughs> the best news you can ask for. So. Yeah, better
0: than what yeah. the news Arizona is getting. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Infinitely better.
1: Um, all right, uh, so now uh, going to uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. They won the yeah. Stanley Cup. I don't know if you've heard this, Steve. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they they win the Stanley Cup. Um, I
0: saw Mark Stone hoisting the cup. That was yeah, a, that was my first Exactly,
1: cup. yeah, yeah. Um, he, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But I I was reminded because they're, um, I don't know if you remember this, Steve, but we actually have proof of this when you mentioned this on the podcast so many years ago, but yeah. when Bill Foley bought the team, um, you had quoted something that Bill Foley said, that he said that the Vegas Golden Knights were going to win the Stanley Cup in six years, and yep. six years later, this, <laughs> the Stanley Cup is in Vegas. Uh, so yep, Exactly incredible. six years. Exactly six years. I... Um, I remember at the time I don't know if you remember this But I was incredulous about that Because I thought it was nuts <laughs> At the time and Yeah, Loki he kind of course, key, the yep. same too Originally yep. it
0: was seven But then they went on that run And it's like, ah six nah, I bet six yeah, I bet yeah. six, not
1: seven Right, right And, you know, I, I guess the, You know, obviously they went through that uh, Big run, Stanley Cup Final run In uh, 2018 And I guess I kind of changed my tune And then once they got <laughs> like all these, uh, superstars, and I'm like, alright, yeah, Vegas Golden Knights might win the Stanley Cup pretty soon. Um, and then it happened. So, um, so yeah, this is uh, definitely, um, uh, not necessarily a shocker, but, um, but yeah, it was it was definitely, like, I was happy uh, for all these guys, like Mark Stone, as you mentioned, um, I was happy for Bruce Cassidy, Jack Eichel, um, like every single player, I feel like has some story to it. Like you know, uh, Jack Eichel, he did he refused to have um, a, uh, a a surgery that the Buffalo Sabres wanted, and he was waiting for a team that wanted that was going to give that was willing to offer him the freedom to do the surgery that he wanted to do. Then once he did, then he was able to be... He became, like, one of the best players in the playoffs. Um, he didn't end up winning. Then you had, like, you had, like, Mark Stone, who just gets traded from Ottawa to Vegas. You have Bruce Cassidy, who got unrightfully fired from the Boston Bruins. Um
0: Yep, yeah, year one, by yeah. the way. This is year one for Cassidy exactly. in Vegas, and he does this.
1: And then he, he does this. Um, and then... Um, you know it's weird cuz like I should be kind of like uh, angry at at the Golden Knights for for doing that but at the same time I'm like it wasn't Bruce Cassidy's fault <laughs> for for getting fired it was it's clearly Don Sweeney didn't know what he was doing but I mean at the same time like Sweeney hired that then, then hired Jim Montgomery and Jim Montgomery um had this this incredible season for the Bruins as well so it's like I, I don't have any hate in my heart for Cassidy. In fact, I almost, like, teared up when I saw that Cassidy, like, was smiling uh, as soon as they won. I was like, that was unexpected for me, but I was like, oh, this He's also feels from good.
0: Ottawa, so me yeah. too, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> I had the same reaction. Yeah. And this, I was like, oh, this feels good. Like, I, I didn't expect that, um, even though it's like, yeah, he, you know, he lost the Stanley Cup finals in uh, 2019, and it's just like, just like, and then I hear afterwards how he was—he uh, talked to Jeff Merrick, um, in, in this interview. He was just saying how like, um, like he he has no ill will to the Bruins at all, and he felt like, um, because like he had tough shoes to fill in for Claude Julian when he was the Bruins coach, and then once he was in Vegas, he had tough shoes to fill in for, um, uh, Pete DeBoer. Um, who did some, who had some success in Vegas and then, you know, he was just saying that like, that's just how hockey works and it's just like, you know, it takes you a long time to, to, to reach that standpoint and, um, and yes, yeah, it's, it's all a journey just to get to where he's at and he's just happy that it, it happened for him. So, so that was great. Um, you know, like Mark Stone, as we just mentioned, yeah, he was a legend in Ottawa Senators, uh to the point where Steve did a whole devoted, a whole episode of lace them up on based off of Mark stone, leaving uh, the Ottawa senators. Um, There will
0: be a more positive sequel coming this summer. Just you wait. Okay. (laughs) I don't know what that means.
1: Uh, And uh, yeah, and he ends up getting a hat trick in this, uh, in game five, the, the game winning game, the game, the game clinching game. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I guess I kind of spoiled the lead here because the Vegas Golden Knights won 9-3, to um, and, uh, Jonathan Marcheseau won the con Smythe. You could even talk about, so Jonathan Marcheseau, he was, uh, outcasted by Florida, um, and then, uh, and then he gets, there's, like, a trade. He wasn't even picked in the draft. He was traded, um, to To the Vegas Golden Knights, and then, uh, yeah, and then he he becomes the Colin Smythe against his former team in the finals, um, yeah. where he was great. Eden Hill, he was their fourth goaltender um, this year because Robin Leonard gets out um, is like injured for the entire season, um, and then um, and then Logan Thompson takes the reins, and he's he was phenomenal and then he gets injured and then he's out and then you have Laurent Boursois. Um he was good uh, towards the the last stretch of the regular season Aiden Hill was also good um, as well um, in that regular season but those were your three and your four goaltenders to start the year and um, and then all of a sudden like and and Laurent Brossois started the playoffs and then all of a sudden Aiden Hill starts it um, so it's just like Every single guy has some sort of story to them, um, and it's just incredible. So, um, yeah, so, so that's kind of, like, the, the thing, like, yeah, you can talk about, like, cap circumvention or the fact that, like, Mark Stone uh, was injured for the second half of the season and then it, it somehow comes back um, into the playoffs, but for one, it's, like, it wasn't, like, a tampa Bay Lightning situation because Kucherov missed the entire year, um, that that season and um, he was clearly healthy um at the like in the second half of the season whereas for for Vegas like Mark Stone wasn't healthy like he wa- he was injured uh, legitimately um and uh and yeah and then he comes back and of course he's he's incredible um and then um yeah it, it was also cool that uh they had Apparently, um, I, I didn't see this, but there was a point when, um, the five, there were six, there's six guys on this team who were originally drafted by the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, one is Jonathan Marcheseau. I think Nicholas Roy was the other one.
0: Nope. Um, it was Jonathan Marcheseau, Riley Smith, oh, Riley Smith Braden, uh, Braden McNabb, Will Carrier, Shea Theodore, and William Carlson.
1: Right, right, right. But there was a point um, in the well. First off, those were like after um, Mark Stone gets the the cup, um, or you know hold, holds the cup, he hands it off yeah. to Riley Smith, and then the, those those six original get the yeah were the first to receive it, which was a nice. Touch. I, I love
0: moments like that. Yeah. So it's so wholesome.
1: Yep, and then um, there was also uh, they also all played on the they also were on the ice at the same time too. Um, William Car- Carrier wasn't, but the other five were um, at one point, and that was that was a kind of a cool move by Bruce Cassidy as well. So it's kind of like an interesting mix because it's like. Cassidy, obviously Cassidy just joined the team and, um, you know, Mark Stone was the captain there. Pedro Angelo has some success before with St. Louis, same with Barbashev. Um, and then you add like Jack Eichel. And so you still have some guys who just joined in on the fun. but it, it is cool that they just gave respect to those, those guys first and had them like, you know, cause like, there is something to the fact that like, oh, those guys were the original misfits. Even though like you could make a case that Cassidy was a misfit, you can make a case that Jack Eichel was a misfit. You can make a case that Mark Stone was a misfit. You can make a case that any of these guys that I list are misfits. And it's it's just it's just nice that they are all like a part of this team and they were able to build around that identity of like, oh, no one believed in us except they're all believing in each other kind of thing so it was kind of cool and um yeah the the other thing that was that's interesting is well two things one uh this is phil kessel's third stanley cup um and this is also jonathan quick's third stanley cup um even though both didn't really like weren't as involved as their other two cups that they won but
0: same with martinez i think yeah
1: that's another one that's a good point um but uh, it was funny too because Martinez was, uh, held the cup and then he gave it to Jonathan Quick because he was their teammate. And then I was thinking like that was before like Quick got the hold held the cup before Eden Hill, which makes no sense to me. But I was like, oh, maybe this is Jonathan Quick's last e- like last game or last season or something. He's he might retire. After this the other, just... the other
0: thing about Quick is, like, remember um, yep. when Jack Campbell was on his meteoric rise in Toronto? Right. And he credited a lot of his uh, success to Jonathan Quick and his uh, yep. mentoring abilities. Yeah. And you look at Darcy Kemper before him. He won the Stanley Cup uh, this past year with Colorado. And he was uh, in L.A. for a little bit. And I'm sure Jonathan Quick taught him a thing or two. And he's taken off That's and become right. the goalie that he is today. I feel like when you look at Aiden Hill and how well he played and how well Laurent Brossois played uh, as well, uh, obviously Logan Thompson didn't play uh, as a teammate with Quick because he was injured. But heading into the playoffs, my biggest concern, and I said in the Edmonton series very clearly how much I trusted Stuart Skinner over Aiden Hill, um, it was largely because I was worried their goaltending and experience would be their undoing at the most pivotal time of the year and vegas proved me wrong and i think a big part of that was jonathan quick uh focusing them up before games and Mm -hmm. just uh delivering that kind of mindset like he didn't appear for a single second in the playoffs but i'm sure behind the scenes he played an instrumental role in the success of their goaltending
1: yeah yeah um but yeah, no, I, I mean, I could go through like each player on the Vegas Golden Knights and say how valuable they were, but I did want to. They also had two yeah. former
0: Blues who beat Cassidy in twenty nineteen, yeah. Barbashev and Petrangelo.
1: Yep, yeah, and Barbashev was really good in the in the, playoff, Very the playoffs. Very good, so, yeah. Yep. Um, he's a UFA. We'll we'll get into the future in a second. Um, but yeah, um, Chandler Stevenson, um, even guys like William Carrier and like. Nicholas Roy, even like Zach Whitecloud, who don't play that often, um, they had their role there, um, and yeah. they, they're pretty good. Nick Hague was one of them. So um, yeah, they, they, this was like a very good team, and it, like you know, like yeah, I guess at the start of these playoffs, you were thinking that it was going to be Boston and Edmonton, and with good reason. Uh, but yeah, it make it makes a lot of sense that this Vegas Golden Knights team ended up coming out on top. Um, just because the, yeah they're a very good team as well and they have a good coach. Um, so so yeah it's, it's definitely something there. Um, also before we get into the Vegas Golden Knights future, um, I did want to mention that Matthew apparently Matthew Kachuk could barely keep on his uniform um, in game four uh, like he had like Brady Kachuk had to like put on his uniform. <laughs> wore him for game 4. No,
0: so he, yeah. he had to help him get out of bed oh, yeah, after that's his right. pregame in Game 4, and then yeah. his teammates had to dress him before and after the game, because yeah. he couldn't.
1: Right, right, right.
0: Fractured sternum is
1: what he had, like, holy yeah. fuck. Also, Aaron Eckblad, this is my favorite stories of the year, I say <laughs> that in jest, but uh, Aaron Eckblad, let me just see if I can find it here, because um, it was incredible. Um,
0: I remember it off the top of my head if you can't find it.
1: uh, Fine, fine,
0: yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so he uh, popped his shoulder twice. Uh, he also tore his oblique muscle, and uh, he, he suffered a broken foot in the Boston series. So yeah. he pulled in Eric Carlson and played basically the bulk of the playoffs on one bad foot.
1: And, uh, yeah, he broke his foot in Game 2 of Round 1. He didn't find out until after <laughs> Round 2. He also <laughs> dislocated a shoulder against Carolina, and he didn't know when when he dislocated the second shoulder. And then yeah, he's, he's oh not... he did. oh it wasn't
0: both it was it was it wasn't the same shoulder It was two dif- yeah two, it, different two different shoulders yeah. Good God, yeah. Oh, that was the same one. That's Good. even worse.
1: He said he will likely not be ready for training camp in September. Yeah, so. and,
0: and and Maurice said uh, he might not be the only one either.
1: Yeah, and... yeah, I, yeah. So,
0: yeah, you, you, you go and yeah. tell guys, uh, you know, who have prepped, you know, like a solid decade for yep. this moment, yeah, you're too hurt. We can't play you. It's just like, yeah, and you're the president of the United <laughs> States. Put me on the ice.
1: Yeah, basically. Uh, th- that's my least favorite thing because it's like, it wasn't like, I mean, I guess the Panthers did kind of need Ekblad and Kachuk, of course, but like, it's like, at that point, it's just like, aren't you, like, you're, you're, you're not going to be able to walk at some point. Yeah, This like, was in
0: the middle of a game yeah. a scrum, like, at the end of the game yeah. with that injury.
1: Yeah.
0: Like, bruh.
1: <laughs> right. It's just like, I mean, I guess I kind of, like, you know, that could be, like, a, an interesting aspect to it. Um, and Jeff Merrick had also mentioned this as well, uh, was that, like, if you – because like, the Panthers were playing this aggressive style – and that was a big reason why they were able to beat the Bruins, the Toronto Maple Leafs, and the Carolina Hurricanes, because none of them had an answer for any of their aggressiveness that they had. But when it comes to the Stanley Cup Finals, it takes a toll, and especially when Vegas was like, you know, like, there was a moment in Game 1 when uh, Matthew Kachuk hit Jack Eichel very, very hard, um, one of the hardest hits in the in these playoffs. And Jack Eichel just comes back into the next shift, and that spoke a lot to like, oh, the Vegas Golden Knights are not gonna be like, victims to the Florida Panthers like they had for Carolina, for Boston, for Toronto as well, so that was like a big kind of like psycho- psychological thing for for them as well, but like, it, it takes a toll on, on you as well, on the team as well, it's like they can't be physical for two months and, and get away with it uh, kind of thing. It's just like, oh, it, it eventually runs its course. Like, yeah, it'll win you a couple games, it'll win you a couple series, but ultimately it it might not, you know, it just takes a toll on you um, physically for in the long run. So so maybe that's just like a lesson for all these teams. It's like, yeah, M- Matthew Kachuk was the star of the playoffs. Uh, he I would, I would argue that he should have won the Conn Smythe, but... Um, even, even though it was a losing effort, but, um, but yeah, ultimately it's like, you know, just playing that aggressive uh, style can lead to, um, you not playing as long as you would like. So, um, so yeah, that, that may just be a thing to keep in mind in the long term. Or, you know, Just
0: uh, wanted to, to add to um, uh, your your celebratory victory lap for Bruce Cassidy Because yeah. um, I wanted to add on to that too sure.
1: yeah, go ahead he- If you have anything else as well you
0: know. Heading into this season Bruce Cassidy was very well aware of the fact That you wouldn't have Robin Leonard at any point in the yeah. season And that Thompson, Hill, and Brassois Is what you had going into uh, the regular season And, you know, obviously, there was Mark Stone's health, there was Jack Eichel's health, you know, it's uncertainty, like, how good were they going to be, you know, could Chandler Stevenson build on what he did last year? Uh, What were you going to get out of the likes of Marchessault and and Riley Smith? Um, And then what was your D going to look like as well? Because uh, Shea Theodore, you know, had uh, some injury history as well. You obviously had Petrangelo and his experience, too. Uh, but the main thing, as I mentioned in in the Oilers series, is I didn't I didn't know what he was going to be able to do with his goaltending. But we've seen in Boston that he was able to form some pretty good tandems, you know, with Tuka whether it was Hugh Dobin or uh, Dan Vladar as well, or Yaroslav Halak. Whatever goalie combinations he was working with in Boston, he was able to make it yep. work. And the team kept on winning no matter who was in the net. And... The Vegas Golden Knights, while they didn't look that intimidating the regular season, their best point scorer was Jack Eichel with 66 points, and he played 67 games in that span. Um, they had a lot of offensive depth. Uh, they were defensively sound, and they didn't really give you too many mistakes. Like you look at their giveaway takeaway ratio, like Michael Amadio in the regular season and in the playoffs. Like he yep. was a beast. Was finished, Nicholas yeah. Roy, as well, was a freaking beast as well in the regular yeah, season. Yeah. And there are a couple of other names that um, that escape me right now. But uh, their giveaway takeaway ratio, especially yep. you know for bottom six forwards, was just absolutely ridiculous. And it's it's that depth I think that really proved lethal for Vegas. Chandler Stevenson, sixty four takeaways, only thirty giveaways. Uh, If you look at a guy like uh, Mark Stone, a a takeaway machine, of course, he had 47 in just the 43 games that he played. He only had 22 giveaways on the year. I mentioned Nicholas Waugh, 45 takeaways, only 13 giveaways all regular season, Uh, 36 takeaways for Amadio, only 13 in the regular season. And they continued their impressive numbers uh, during Vegas's playoff run too. So their puck discipline was also very good. And heading into the trade deadline, heading into the playoffs, you knew that there wasn't really the opportunity to really build around your roster and, like, make that big name splash that Vegas was notorious for doing. As we mentioned, Mark Stone. Mm -hmm. As we mentioned, uh, Robin Leonard at a trade deadline they also got. I'm sure there are a couple of other examples, but those are the handful that stick out to me. And what they did at the trade deadline is they got Jonathan Quick, who... You know, was helpful for his mentorship with, you know, Brassois and Hill, as we found out, that was huge. But in terms of, like, 10 or 11 regular season games, uh, that's all he contributed. And he didn't play a single second of playoff hockey. He was on the bench for pretty much all of it or uh, in the stands uh, in the early stages because Brassois and Hill was the tandem. And then Brassois got hurt. Uh, you look at um, Teddy Bluger, who was a very serviceable bottom six forward. Uh, and then you look at Ivan Barbashev and when he did. Like, he was easily their their X factor, the X factor that they needed to emerge, and he absolutely did yep. uh, in a boatload of different ways. He's going to be a guy hopefully they can keep around, but it wouldn't shock me if, if you know, a team on the open market gives him an offer he can't refuse. Um but that was the best they could do because of the cap space afforded to them. And yep. obviously they had to keep Mark Stone on LTR just to make that happen. And they get rid of Shea Weber's cap at Taris just to make it so that uh, LTIR for Mark Stone was possible for the rest of the regular season. So um, Bruce Cassidy knew throughout the course of the season and heading into the playoffs, this is the team that you have... You're going to have to find a way with this group. And the way that this team played, uh, he got the best out of them. William Carlson shutting down a heck of an Oilers offense that was featuring McDavid and Drysdale. Jason Robertson, no problem. Um, And and a Dallas uh, Ford group that was also just as loaded as Edmonton's, I would argue, Uh, in terms of Edmonton's top six, I would say. At... It, in parts, Dallas De- is 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 pretty equal because they have six guys that can really kick your butt. Yep. And while they didn't have to face like three top five teams, uh, like Florida did, you know they were going up against some very high quality opponents, and they were passing the test with flying colors. Uh, Nick Hag, Zach Whitecloud, like those are some of your bottom pairing defensemen, and. If that's your bottom pair, like holy, you've you got you got something good going there. And then the way Jonathan Marcheso turned it on in the late stages of the second round, like my god, what a player! What what a player he was uh, for the second half of their stretch run there. Um, everyone, uh, big or small, played a role, regular season or playoffs, on this group. And I think it takes one heck of a conductor to make that orchestra yep. sing. And Bruce Cassidy from day one of the regular season got uh, the Vegas Golden Knights a division trophy, a conference championship banner, and now a Stan- their first Stanley Cup in team history. Like, he's not going to win Coach of the Year. He wasn't even nominated for Coach of the Year. Incredible. But what a job he did this year. And yeah. I hope people remember him for that.
1: It's incredible that he didn't get nominated for Jack Adams. Like, I mean, I know it ultimately doesn't matter, but. Um, yeah. And like obviously, Jack Cassidy would rather the Stanley Cup than the Jack Adams, but it is and um, it's incredible that he wasn't even. I nominated. also love
0: he didn't forget his roots. He mentioned the yeah. street that he grew up uh, on in Ottawa, oh, uh, the street that he played street hockey as a kid. Yeah, like he hasn't forgotten his roots for one second. Yeah, and uh, that warmed my heart too.
1: Yeah, I I believe he had uh, mentioned that he. Uh, I remember during the bubble, he said that he was going to be an American citizen, but yeah, that is cool that I didn't realize that he also still feels tied to uh, Ottawa, even though he considers himself an American citizen.
0: He uh, played uh, yeah. three seasons for the 67s, who were coached by Brian Kilray, so if you're wondering uh, why he became a good coach, he probably learned quite a few <laughs> right. uh, tools of the trade from him. So, th- th-
1: this is interesting, then. I didn't realize, I guess we, uh, we share Bruce Cassidy now.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm happy with that. Yeah,
1: All right. Um, yeah, we, we used to share Zidane Chara, Now we share Bruce Cassidy. All right. I, I like that mix here. Um, and I, I, I guess speaking of players from growing up around where I grew up, I'm happy for Jack Eichel, of course. Um, I uh, He's... Uh, I'm gonna tell people the rest of my life that I share the same birthday as a Stanley Cup champion, Jack Eichel. so. uh.
0: The other thing I wanted to quickly mention because I feel this could also get lost in the shuffle. Okay. Back-to-back years, the cup-winning goalie was a former Arizona Coyote. Oh, right, yeah. Good call. And Aiden Hill this year. So I guess you could say the Coyotes have an eye for talent. It just... yeah. It just it, it doesn't just, work out. Does, it just doesn't end in their favor. That's yeah.
1: all. That's what Be- Melka should uh, tell like everyone. Yeah, yeah. No,
0: Veljumelka getting traded, <laughs> oh, and that's that's your Cup winner wherever yeah, he yeah. goes. He, the, he's just saying like,
1: all right, uh, I'm I'm like a, I'm like a Darcy Kemper and a Eden Hill. <laughs> yeah, sends me a
0: number one. You know what to do. Yep. Get it done. We're so, the
1: GM. so speaking of their future, uh. I guess the question now becomes, can they repeat this? Uh, what's interesting here, uh, so I, I guess I can list the free agents first and then talk about it, but uh, speaking of goalies, um, it becomes re- really interesting. because uh, So first you have Ivan Barbashev, Teddy Bluger, and Phil Kessel as UFAs uh, from a skater standpoint. Then your RFAs, you have Pavel Dorofaev. Um I feel like I... I don't think that's how you pronounce his name, but um, Brett Howden and uh, Braden Pashal as our face, um, and then in goal, so you have Logan Thompson. He's being paid seven hundred thousand dollars, not even a million dollars, seven hundred and sixty-six thousand six hundred and sixty-seven dollars for two more years. You also have Robin Lehner for two more years at five million. And then you have Eden Hill as a UFA, you have Lauren Francois as a UFA, and Jonathan Quick as a UFA. Um, the bigger thing that I'm curious about is, because Robin Leonard, like, yes, he, he missed out on a year. Unfortunately, he doesn't get his name on the cup. But he was, he's a good goaltender. Um, so um, I am curious on how they handled this situation because, yes, it's a great story that Eden Hill was incredible in the Stanley Cup Finals. You can make the case that um, he was a big. He was the reason why the Golden Knights won the Stanley Cup, was because it. But in reality, it's like, okay, do you put in Logan Thompson ahead of Eden Hill now in the regular season? Do you put in Robin Leonard once he's healthy because you know how good he is? So it's like they're and it's not like other than yeah, they could probably lose Ivan Barbashev. They're kind of keeping the same core together. Um, so, like, there's nothing to say that they couldn't run it back and and do the same thing. It's just, like, they have a real, like, um, a good problem to have here. It's like, okay, do we, do you rely on Logan Thompson? Do you rely on Aiden Hill? Because Aiden Hill has definitely earned his, um, a chance to be a starter for the Golden Knights. Or do you, like, (laughs) give Robin Leonard a chance again? Because we know how good Robin Leonard can be. So it's like that. That's the bigger thing that I'm. I'm curious about. It's like, which goaltender does the Vegas Golden Knights have? Because now they have three good goalies. Um, just that, like, two of them have that risk. I mean, I guess all three of them have some risk factors. Like, Aiden Hill could go down to earth. You don't know how. Uh, you know, goalie recovering from injuries can take a while. Even if it's something like Logan Thompson, who just missed like four months, five months and Robin Leonard who missed a full season so it's like you never really know how good a a goalie can be when they recover but um but yeah Eden Hill like might also just go back to being what he was in Arizona and just not be as good as we thought he was and then you also have Laurent Frisois who's like uh who's been a career um a career a goal like a backup uh goaltender so like but he's decent enough. Um, and then you also have the added thing of like Aiden Hill and Bursois are gonna be UFAs. You don't they don't have a ton of cap space to begin with, so maybe Aiden Hill goes on the open market and signs elsewhere. Um, and and then it's just like, okay, do the Vegas Golden Knights rely on um, Logan Thompson and Robin Leonard, who are both recovering from long-term injury. Um, so, yeah.
0: My my whole process on that is okay. What have the Vegas Knights done before? Um, offload all salaries so you can create new salary to sign someone else to a long-term contract or make a very yeah. They could uh, do a mark on What the heck thing. trade where that gets the league buzzing? Yeah. Uh, so I'm thinking they probably trade Robin Leonard to Carolina for future considerations, just to offload his cap. If I had to guess, they're probably going to pull the patches there. I think Alec Martinez and exactly. his 5.25 million, million dollar cap hit is probably going to be traded somewhere too. Uh, I would be okay with uh, with uh, Hill and Thompson as the tandem. Um, Because the other thing is, after the year that Jonathan Marchessault had, the ending that he had, um, even though he's going to be a UFA at the end of next year, at $5 million, um, I think, you know, the way he's picking it up, um, maybe you keep him around, uh, even though he's he's 32, maybe give him another three-year contract. Mm -hmm uh chandler stevenson 29 years old 2.75 million dollar cap it that's a bargain but that's gonna expire yep. after next year he was one of your leading scorers in the playoffs he was your leading uh, second best scorer in the regular season this year and uh, over the past couple of years he's uh, steadily gotten better um i think he would be a guy to keep around so if you have to keep uh your goaltending at a cheap price um maybe robin leonard's contract is yeah, yeah, easy to offload uh, to a contender to a spot like carolina for future considerations that could use a goalie but i think could also you know get the best out of him as well uh and then um the other thing is maybe the vegas golden knights um because there's also barbachev i think they should do whatever they can to keep Barbashev. It might it might be an impossible mission if he gets a ridiculously good offer. But I think Barbashev is a the guy they probably hang on to no matter what. Um, the other the other possibility is, what if for whatever reason, Connor Halibut is on their radar? Oh, yeah. And they're just like, yeah, let's just trade Robin Laird for future considerations. We get cap space, and then we make the a trade. I don't know what the price tag is, uh, but... Wait, why? I, 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 I just feel like Vegas is going to trade away one vet to get another vet that they feel is going to continue the winning window. And I Oof. just feel... I, I just feel it would be trademark Vegas to just trade away a veteran goalie and then get another. Yeah,
1: I mean, I guess they did do that in the past with Marc-Andre Fleury, but why yeah. would why would Winnipeg do that, though? Because, like, if Winnipeg's going to trade Connor Hellbuck, I know that he's requested a trade so that they don't have as much leverage. But if they're going to do that, they're going to do it because they want to rebuild. So I don't know why they would want Robin Lehner um, maybe if you trade like Logan Thompson instead, um, but because like at least he's, you know, young.
0: No, um, but I, I, Robin Leonard would be a separate trade. Like the the Vegas oh, group, oh, oh. like Vegas isn't trading him to Winnipeg. Got it, I think, got it, got it. I, think I see. Leonard I see. is going to Carolina, Alapatt is style for future considerations, so they get cap space, and then they make the trade with Winnipeg, and they get Hellebuck.
1: I see, I see. Okay, I I thought you were saying that Leonard for, for Hellebuck. Uh-huh. i can
0: probably see winnipeg maybe getting a guy like alec martinez who can short-term yeah. help with the culture and Fair. you know maybe yep. they maybe they swab him uh, at the deadline you know to get some sort of a future return perhaps um i do i think that's the best trade option for winnipeg for helibut absolutely not i don't think mm-hmm. vegas has the futures that they need yeah. but there have been a lot of times where it's just like ah for various reasons this trade with Vegas right. isn't going to work and then it happens.
1: Yeah, so. I mean it does it does fit with what Vegas has been doing um, in the in their offseason moves, but I don't know. I feel like they they would they will keep all three of them um in some way, but yeah, I guess during the they they don't have a ton of cap space anyways, so that might alter it but in any and, case and i
0: think that's gonna contribute also to you know whether or not they can repeat even right. if they make those moves like again i'm really high on what the kings could do this off season. obviously you have colorado yep um, dallas in the great year that they had maybe they build on that maybe seattle builds on the year that they yeah. had i wouldn't call vegas uh a front runner even in the western conference at this point to win hmm. it up next year
1: I don't know. I I think
0: they they're they, up there, but they're not the front runner.
1: Well, here's the thing. I feel like they they definitely they they won the Stanley Cup, and they didn't even have their best goaltender. <laughs> like, yeah. So not wrong. so the the fact that they they were able to do that is is crazily impressive. So there's. I mean, I know it's hard to repeat um, the Stanley Cup, but I I could definitely see them. I wouldn't like. It's it's hard to say that like they're. Yeah, I could see that Colorado is probably better than, better than them at this point. Uh, same with Edmonton. But anyone else in the West, I feel like uh, they're all competing with Vegas um, for that. But I could totally see Vegas repeating. Um, it's just, I I don't know. I, I think it's like, I, I believe that Robin Leonard could come back and be the goaltender that we expect from him, or that as isn't a level goaltender, and like if that's the case, then it's like okay, yeah, Vegas is going to be very scary. Uh, yeah, the thing uh, with he could yeah. th-
0: he could thrive under Cassidy. I can yeah. totally see that.
1: Yeah, and the thing with Aiden Hill is that yeah, he was great in the playoffs, uh, even great in the regular season too. But um, we don't know how consistent he can be. Um, yeah. So. So that's the one concern about that is, but so he does become an interesting free agent because there is a potential where, like a team like let's say New Jersey says like you know what, if we need an Aiden Hill, we're gonna get we're gonna sign Aiden Hill to a lot of money and uh, New Jersey like he goes to New Jersey and Vegas is like all right yeah we can't we can't afford that, so um so even though Aiden Hill was incredible, in that playoffs he may have just uh, signed his way out of Vegas. Um, or or
0: maybe he uh, gets a good offer from a team like Winnipeg, yep. who knows that they're probably going to need a starting goaltender for next year, yep. and it's not going to be the one they have now. Right. Uh, but they're just going to be like, yeah, we'll give you a one-year deal, like three million. <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, like Oh, yeah, that'd be interesting too. Yeah, because now he and doesn't. You can, you
0: can be the starter. Like.
1: Yeah, yeah. You just want a cup, like. Right, right, right. Yeah, that that could work too. Although it's like at this point, it's like. He, he's already won a Stanley Cup it's like does he want to stay with the team yeah I guess because he might not be a starter in Vegas so yeah the draw would be it, it might not be money as the draw it could just be like alright you're going to be a starter <laughs> on yeah this
0: or, or it could just be for yeah. the one season then it can or go yeah. on a contender but like sure. I don't really know if there's an opportunity better than this for Aiden Hill to make yeah. like 3 million or 4 million on a one year deal I, I don't. I think there's a right. ceiling where you can get that kind of money, and after that, well, you are yeah. you are what you are.
1: The only team that I could see do that, but I'm not sure why they would do that because they're in Vegas' division. Is uh, Seattle? Um, the, see, the, the thing
0: big. is, they have money to trigger and also group power, yeah. and they also have Joey DeCord in the system, so I don't see why that would work.
1: Yeah, maybe. Um, And they're in the same division, but... Yeah. Oh, well, I guess it doesn't matter if they're in the same division, uh, because it's not like they're trading them. But, yeah, maybe. I I guess I'm just thinking that, like, they're a team that are on the rise and need goalie help.
0: Maybe I could see, like, obviously depends on who the Kings get, but maybe the Kings bring them in as, like, a 1A, 1B tandem, because they don't have to to keep Corpus Allo
1: yeah that's another one who's although they the do have division. Copley
0: under contract for this year
1: yeah so. all right um but like other than the goalie tending situation um what about their forward situation and all that their
0: forwards, their forward situation good i mean yep. the way eichel and stone have played is very reassuring uh, i like what carlson brought, March is so even riley smith had yep. great numbers this year um I'm still waiting for Nicholas Waugh to go off offensively. It hasn't happened. Maybe yeah. that happens uh, this year as well. Um, it's just that they're going to be a team near the cap with uh, even if they clear out cap space for like Leonard and Martinez, you know, they're still yeah. they're still limited in how they can improve this group as well. Uh, whereas, you know, you look at some of the other teams, like I keep mentioning the LA Kings, yeah. they have... They have versatility. They have cap versatility to make a big splash that yep. Vegas can't.
1: Yeah, the Kings have good prospects or a good farm system where the... That Golden too, yeah. yeah. Vegas has
0: traded away a handful of former yeah. first-round picks in over right. the years.
1: Uh, they do have Brendan Brisson um, still, but yeah, yeah. everyone is there, else... It's
0: their main one left, yeah. Yeah,
1: everyone else is not as good. Um, and, um... I don't think he's doing that well in the AHL the last I checked, so we'll see. Um, all right, uh, let's go to... I guess it, we should have done the Panthers obituary before we talked about the Vegas Golden Knights, but I don't know. Anyways, uh, we're doing the Panthers obituary um, now. Uh, they um, yeah they lost. As we just mentioned, uh, Matthew Kachuk didn't play Game 5. Aaron Eichblad was dealing with injuries for the entire time, um, of the playoffs, um, so that was a big reason. Also, it turned, like, Sergei Bobrovsky kind of just turned back into a pumpkin, um, like he had in the regular season. Um, so, those were, like, the three big reasons why the Panthers didn't, um, didn't really even give Vegas Golden Knights a huge test and ended up getting gentlemen swept, by, uh, by the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, but they're still a good team. Um, like, I wouldn't be surprised if this, this season or this playoff run wasn't a fluke for the Panthers. Because, um, you know, they were a really good team last season. Um, and then they added Matthew Kachuk, and obviously they, they paid dividend, that, that trade paid dividends uh, for them this year. It was a large, big reason why they made it to the Stanley Cup Finals was because Matthew Kachuk, and he was their best player. Um, of course, they still have, like, Alex Barkov, who's very good, Sam Reinhart, who's very good, Sam Bennett, who's very good, uh, um, Carter Verhege, Anthony Declair who are all very good. Um, the thing, in terms of their cap situation, though, when they're free agents, um, it's not a huge deal this year. Uh, there, uh, there's Eric Stahl uh, UFA, Lucas Carlson, Casey Fitzgerald Radko Gudis, Mark Stahl Evan Fitzpatrick and Alex Lyon are all UFAs, oh and Patrick Hornquist are all UFAs but next year um, Sam Reinhardt Anthony Duclair, E2 Lewis and Nick Cousins Anton Lundell uh, Ryan Lomberg uh, Brandon Montour, Gustav Forsling, and Josh Mahura are all free agents as well. Yeah, so, the,
0: the defense, the defenseman yeah. with the most term on their deal is Aaron Ekblad, and he has two years left yeah, at seven point yeah. five.
1: Yeah, I mean Brandon Montour, they'll probably try to extend him a, uh, after J- July first. I, <laughs> I could see that happening. Um, Sam Reinhardt has one more year left, so that's another wonder there too. So. I am curious what they do, but yeah, they have a lot of contracts where it's like they're going to be free agents in a couple of years. So, um, so that it'll be interesting to see what they do with all that cap space and who they keep and who they let go of. But yeah, they have 10 million in cap space, so they they might be able to make some moves here. Um, having said all that,
0: so a couple of things. Um, Sergei Bobrovsky was excellent in these yep. playoffs but then he turned into a pumpkin in the finals vegas exposed him they left little doubt in game five and they owned his ass um he has three years left at 10 million uh while i think it would be probably the time to buy him out uh that buy would stretch for six years and it could turn into like a pseudo parise albatross for the panthers So I think if you're the Panthers, I don't think you have much of a choice to at least bite the bullet for another year. Even though Spencer Knight's cap hit is kicking in, I think you roll the dice for better or worse with Bobrovsky and Knight next year. Uh, That being said, I think after next year, you're probably going to have to buy out that $10 cap hit once you realize, okay, we have a lot of big decisions to make. That being said, you look at a guy like Gustav Forsling and Brandon Montour, I think I sell high on Montour and I move him. Because while he was outstanding in the playoffs and outstanding in the regular season this year, he didn't even hit 40 points prior to this. And I don't really know how many seasons like he had this year he's going to have moving forward. So if you were to sell high on Montour, you not only create a bit of cap space, you know, to add like one or two pieces, uh, but maybe, you know, he gets uh, some good young talented prospects to kind of inject some life in the prospect pool which i don't think is terrible Mm -hmm. but i don't think it's great either i think it's like nhl average at the moment gustav forsling i probably keep around uh for waivers. fame he's hella good and uh he had 37 points the year prior 41 points this year i i think uh he's not gonna shoot the lights out like montour but I think he's a pretty stable defenseman, and he's also two years younger than Montour. Out of the two, I'd probably keep Forsling and sell high on Montour there. As for Sam Reinhardt, I also maybe sell high on him as well. Uh, His first year was good. This year was kind of a step back, even though he did uh, perform at times in the playoffs. He was a non-factor in the finals against Vegas. And I just feel like... Uh, and and Tim Murray kind of alluded to in the draft interview like we know you're going to be good but are you going to be great uh I don't know if Sam Reinhardt can be great and you look at guys like Carter Verhage and Matthew Kachuk and Alexander Barkov that have been performing hmm. um and you're gonna have to pay Carter Verhage two years from now as well and he's probably going to be worth easily more than five million he's 4.166 is cap it like it's ridiculous how good that is uh, i'd probably sell high on uh reinhardt as well as montour that creates cap space like i said gets you more versatility in the farm system um maybe allows you to get better i the thing about florida similar to vegas is they're a cap strap team that didn't do much of anything in the deadline more so because they couldn't they're up against the cap and they're going to be up against the cap heading into this year's offseason. And the cap isn't really going to go up enough for them to really profit from that and keep some of their guys around or literally improve this team. So I think they have to get creative and take advantage of some monster campaigns yeah. from some of their players and turn it, that into future assets that are going to help them win down the road. Especially if some of those assets like Aaron Eckblad and Matthew Kachuk are not guaranteed locks to play for this team once the season starts in october it just feels like a montreal situation where you know a minor adjustment here a minor adjustment there and oh we'll run it back next year and and we'll be back in the finals again and not only do they not make the finals they not they missed the playoffs and they missed the playoffs badly and i think it could be a very rough year for the panthers if they don't adapt and they don't make some changes yeah. um i think standing pat is the worst thing that this team can do and uh as we've seen from bill zito he's not afraid to make big moves and some of the big moves that he's made while they have been gambles so far most yeah. of them have paid off so sure. i'm really interested to see how creative he gets uh, with the Florida situation but i think standing pat would be uh an an awful decision by the panthers front office right now
1: well i don't think they're going to stand pat but i do think that um they aren't going to be uh fluky like the montreal canadians were um like i i could i could definitely see this team making the playoffs again like i know like yeah tampa Toronto and Boston although Boston might not be as good as they were this season um they could they could still make the playoffs I think um but yeah they definitely have to make some moves um in the off season. I um yeah I, I guess you kind of convinced me that maybe they move on from Brandon Montour but I wouldn't be surprised if he continues on with this pace because there are definitely some late bloomers in hockey so um so it, it could. Be the case for Montour that this is just who he is, and he he could just get better. Um, from they also from don't effort. have a
0: first round pick in this year's yep. draft in the next two, so they can't really afford to suck either.
1: Especially when also especially when uh, Aaron um uh, might not be back at the start of the regular season. So yep. like if they get rid of Brandon Montour and then they don't have Aaron Eckblad it's like okay, who's going to be the guy that on the defensive good point. end? Um, so I'm not necessarily sure about that. Um, you might have convinced me about Sam Reinhardt, but I, I don't think, like, he was always going to be a supporting cast to Barkov and Kachuk. Like, I, I don't think you need him to be, like, the guy because you have guys like Kachuk and Barkov who, who do score a lot. Um... Whereas, like, yeah, Sam Reinhardt, he was the second overall pick. And if in a redraft, he probably would be, he would probably still be a top 10 pick, but uh, definitely not second overall that year. Um, but I, I I, still don't think, like, he's, like, that bad of a player. Um, he's definitely, like, still, like, a first-round pick um, if you were to do a redraft that year. Um, yeah, I guess, like, tri and Pasternak would be the top two that year. But, um, but yeah, I, I think he, he's still worth uh, hanging on around for at least this year or this offseason. And then, like, let's say the Panthers, the worst-case scenario happens and the Panthers are, like, dead last in the, um, in February. Then, yes, Sam Reinhardt would be a perfect trade ship for them because then a team would, would definitely take on Sam Reinhardt. Um, and you can move on from him, but um, I, I think at at the moment you keep you keep on to Sam Reinhart um, until until it's possible that it's like oh right this team's not making the playoffs. Yeah, um, I don't think I dish out any notable
0: contract extensions uh, this yeah, offseason to some of the pending UFAs because if, if that way at least if you guessed yep. wrong. Um, you didn't sign a contract, and you can move them. But yeah. if you sign the contract and you get strong, well, now now you're in a situation like the Canucks are with JT right. Miller. It's just like, okay, well, we're screwed now.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that's fair. I guess. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I guess I don't know. I I'm thinking that you might keep hold on to Brandon Montour, but yeah, you might have a good point. The fact that I didn't realize he was 29 years old, so we'll see. Um, the
0: other the other thing is um, with with um, the Florida Panthers is they're in a division with Buffalo, Ottawa, and Detroit teams yep. that have shown a lot of promise. And Buffalo's a team that just barely missed out in the playoffs Very by true. like a couple of points. Um, if they continue to take a step up, you yeah, know those are three teams that have knocked Florida down a peg. I doubt the Devils are going anywhere. I doubt the Rangers are going anywhere. Yeah. So all of a sudden, you're still in that wild card battle, and you might be out of the playoff spot. Yeah. Like who, who cares if Pittsburgh is still bad? You've got other teams to worry about now.
1: Yeah. No, that's a good point. Um. Yeah. No, no, no that's true. But I mean, we'll we'll see. Um. Yeah, but it'll, it'll be an interesting off season for sure. Cause we we've talked about like maybe like fifteen teams of who are who is, we're going to make some off season moves and we'll see how it goes. Um, yeah, but yeah.
0: Draft draft, uh, draft midweek. By the way, is going to be insane. Uh, yep. Wednesday and Thursday. Should mention is yep. when the draft is the twenty eighth and the 29th of June. So right, uh, right. coming up fast here. Yeah. Yeah. In, 10 in a couple days. 10 days or so.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um. I. I believe. We'll, we'll, In terms of our lace them up schedule in the off season, we tend to like take off some time when there isn't a ton of news. So, we'll we'll keep you guys posted. I think we'll probably do another probably, episode next week. But it's probably we'll
0: uh, August uh, because I'll be uh, in. Uh I'll be out of province for yeah. a better part of two weeks, three weekends.
1: Got it. yeah,
0: um, so uh, August is usually around the time when nothing yeah. really happens. So probably um probably in August is when we'll uh, take a couple weeks off there. But uh, definitely, um next week, and uh, you know the draft, the start of free agency, yeah. the week after that, um, when the more free agency news comes in, and the trades start to roll in. it's probably going to be the busiest part of the off season for us. So definitely over the next couple of weeks, uh, we'll be pumping out the content there.
1: I guess I'm I'm just not sure how much hockey news is going to happen this week in particular. Of course, there's going to be some draft news. Um, but like, you know, once the draft happens, then we'll, we'll cover that. But I'm just not sure how much news is going to happen before that. Um, Maybe so, but we'll we'll see. I guess we'll just play it by ear. Very likely, you're probably right that <laughs> there's going to be something. But uh, yeah,
0: there, there'll probably we'll something that happens like I don't know an hour after yeah, we we required. get off the air. I that would imagine the Meyer deal at uh, the, just based on the rhetoric that could get done this week uh, as well. Yeah. Um So that would be. Another big piece of news for the Devils. And I would imagine also uh, the trade talk is is going to start to pick up as well. I yeah. uh, obviously don't know who, but um, I think as we get closer to the draft, I'm sure a lot of teams aren't going to be eager to wait till the last minute. Um, and I think uh, some movement yeah. is going to happen this week, if I had to guess, too.
1: Yep. Yeah. Um, in any case, um, you can uh, follow us on Twitter at Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Laysa'm Up. You can also subscribe to us at LaceUp, um, or on, on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcasts. I've been doing this forever that I thought I had it <laughs> memorized, and then I realized, oh, wait wait a second, what am I saying? Um, so yeah, you can uh, follow us and subscribe to us if you haven't already on iTunes, Spotify, um, PocketCast, wherever else you get your podcasts. Um, If you haven't already. I mean, I assume you have. You've been listening to this for two hours now. Um, We've been doing this forever. So um, if you haven't, please do. Um, But other than that, uh, I'm Brett Duboff.
0: I'm Steve Ellsworth. You'll find out if we meet our two-hour quota once again in episode (laughs) 307.